0: Hey podcast listeners, the Orthodox Center for the Advancement of Biblical Studies is sponsoring its annual Biblical Symposium at St. Elizabeth Orthodox Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, March 8 to 9, 2019. This year's keynote speaker is Dr. Robert Miller from the Catholic University of America. Meet Father Paul Tarazi and other scholars who will present and discuss papers on biblical exegesis and language. Join Father Mark Bulos and Dr. Richard Benton for a live recording of the Bible as Literature podcast. Engage with others like you who are committed to biblical studies for all who have ears to hear. Register online at EphesusSchool.org. You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with The Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as literature podcast. Today Father Paul will continue his discussion of Genesis chapter one, beginning with the significance of the absence of the wow consecutive in verse two of Genesis. He will talk about how the earth was understood in the original setting of the biblical text, not as a planet or an orb, but as the domain of humans around the human beings, which was also the domain of the other animals, including birds. He will explain the heavens and the waters in the original setting and how waters threatened the human domain. And of course, he will discuss the famous Hebrew words, Tohu Wabohu, and how the Septuagint and the Vulgate are helpful in understanding the original Hebrew by presenting what he calls a functional translation. The Hebrew Tohu Wabohu is rendered in Greek, Aoratos ke Akataskevastos, in Latin, Inanis et Vacua, as in the case of the earth and water, and the heavens. He will explain the important role that darkness plays in the original setting of the Bible, and discuss the parallel between the story of creation in the beginning of Genesis and the story of the flood. So I'm happy to present Father Paul Tarazzi on The Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays.
1: Okay, last time we established, at least for the time being, for my general hearers, because they have their questions and so on, and I try to explain to all of you that one has to be patient. You know, you cannot start with Elohim and then write 500 pages based on Genesis 1.1. Only philosophers and theologians do that. You have to wait to understand what scripture is meaning with this word. That's why, and I stressed it last time, the introduction in the beginning is very important, and I try to explain to you its actual meaning as a premise. And this is what the Gospel of John does at the beginning of his book. As a premise, he says that God is an entity that you have to reach through the scripture and the word of the gospel. There is not a God before the gospel, because then, it's an idol, and then you talk about it, and he sent his son to preach us the gospel. No, John says, as a premise, in the beginning was the Logos, which is the preaching of Paul. Again, as an example. So we established that last time regarding Genesis 1.1, and I tried to say that it's the title as a premise of the entire scripture. And then with verse 2, we begin the discussion of how this happened. And very interestingly, and I think on purpose, the author does not begin verse 2 with what I refer to as the wow consecutive, the end that expresses a sequence. It is as though he's not saying that verse 2 happened after verse 1. And that is important because in the following verses, the author uses and, 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 you could see it, I mean, uh, if you have the translation in front of you. But all these ands, beginning with verse 3, use precisely the while consecutive. It's an action that happens followed by another action, and so on and so forth. And the first action in verse 3 follows the description because there is no action in verse two. But in verse two itself, we have something that should be translated as it was captured by both the Septuagint and the Vulgate in the sense, as for the earth, it was so and so. In the Greek, we have i vegi whereas later we have ke epen, ke eden, ke-ecalesen, and and, 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 in Latin, even more forcefully, since the Latin does not use the definite article generally, it says terra autem erat inanis et vacua. As for, on the other hand, I'm making a statement next to the first one. So we have a description of the earth. Now, this concentration on earth has to be understood against the original background of the writers and the addressees. People at that time did not even conceive of the piece of land or the earth on which they live and other people live as an orb, as a planet of the sun. That was not their understanding, so it's very important to remember that. It is the earth that is functional around them that they know, and then through their voyages, they meet it here and there also with other people, and they conclude that this is how the human beings live. But since it is the same, it is given a general name, this earth. And the interest of the writers is in this specific aspect of the human world. I said that the heavens and the earth are the world of the human being. But technically speaking, the heavens, the human being can see, but they are not functional for him beyond being the origin of the rain, water, but the water he can have from the sea. And it is the domain of the gods. He can't do anything about it. But his particular domain is the earth. So notice what the text is saying is that Elohim made both the heavens of the gods function. And remember, in Psalm 82, he is shown to be the only... El, the others are under judgment. But the human being cannot do anything about that. He's not functional in that area. So specifically, the human domain is precisely what is expressed with Earth in all our languages. Now, the waters are not our domain, and as we shall see soon, that they threaten our domain. This will find its apex in the story of the flood. This Earth is the domain not only of the human being, as we shall see very soon, but also of the animals that live on Earth, including the birds, because the birds, people assume that they are in the sky. No, they live on earth, they fly, and then they land. Very important. Unlike the fish, that is why later we shall hear that Noah did not need to bring the fish in the ark. It doesn't make sense. But he had to bring not only the land animals, but also the birds, who by the way, will be functional together with the vegetation. Remember the birds that were sent out. And only when the dove came with a twig, no one knew that the earth was functional again in a way that he and the animals could go out of the ark and live there. So let's keep all this in mind and stay on that level. And this earth is described with two words in Hebrew, Tohu wa Bohu. Very interesting. Tohu is more important because it appears very frequently elsewhere in the Bible, especially in the prophetic books. Bohu appears only two more times in Isaiah 34.11 and Jeremiah 4.23, and always in conjunction with Tohu. So, tohu is the more important word. Coupling, as I mentioned so many times, expresses underscoring. It is as when you use two words like wrath and ire, either independently together, it's more potent, or you refer to someone as deaf or dumb or deaf-dumb, then it is more important. So, it is just stressing the point of the fact that the earth was presented by the author as rubble, And this is what tohu and bohu means. All you have to do is to go to all these texts that you find in scripture and you will conclude for yourself that this is what it means. So immediately here, I have to add that we are used, unfortunately, to... Classical theology, which is false because it's based on philosophy and on premises. We play with words, for instance. Suddenly, the no thing, which is nothing in our language, becomes an entity in itself the nothingness. Before God created, there was nothing. How can you say there was nothing? The fact that your language, cannot handle reality, only philosophy start to play with that, is that you negate the thing, something that is and you assume that it is not. But technically in reality this doesn't happen like that because once you have a building which is functional and you destroy it you have still something remain as the famous stump in Isaiah which always reminds you that there was something and then this something functionally disappeared, not disappeared existentially, but functionally disappeared. So please, let's stay on this level and for heaven's sake, be serious about it, not say, but. Athanasius said, and Cyril said, uh, and Maximus said, it doesn't help. These people were not around when scripture was written, and actually, as I insisted, it was written against their forefathers, the Greeks and the Greco-Romans. Come on now. So this earth is said to be tohu abuhu, non-functional. Notice how here the Septuagint and the Vulgate help us, because they translate differently these words, but ultimately they point in the same direction. The Greek has aoratos, unseen, and akataskephvastos. The first one means unseen, which is strange. Why unseen? How could the earth be unseen? Well, I think the authors use that because later on, we shall hear that God had to push aside the waters to make the land, the dry earth, the solid earth, appear. So please notice the functionality of the translation. And the other one is from the root Skevos, which is an instrument which is used of Paul in the Acts of the Apostle, is an instrument in the hand of God. It is as though we have pieces of Lego and puzzle. They are there, but there is nothing there until to put them together in the right order to make them functional. So these are the two words of the Septuagint. Now, if you go to the Vulgate... Which, by the way, begins verse 2 with terra autem, as I told you earlier, as for the earth. There is no and, and, and this wow consecutive. It was inanis et vacua. Inanis, you know it all, it is the word that gave us inane, which according to the Webster Dictionary means empty. Insubstantial notice, you don't have a substance for the matter. What is there? Number two, it says lacking significance, meaning, or point, and thus silly. Okay, that's enough. If you know Latin, you visualize that. And the second one is vacua, empty. So when you compare the Septuagint with the Vulgate, you will see that we don't have a word-for-word translation. We have, let me call it again, a functional translation to help you understand the original Hebrew. So putting these three revered texts of the past and giving importance and priority to the Hebrew We realize that, yes, the earth was in the situation in which it was after the flood, at least the beginning days after the flood. There was no vegetation yet. And we're going to see all this working its way in chapter one where first the earth has to be made seen, a solid earth where the human being and the animal can indeed live and remain, not live for two hours and disappear. You need that. And God had to do something about it. Very quickly, let's realize that verse 2 shows you clearly at least according to the text, that God did not create darkness. He creates light to dispel darkness, and he did not create the waters. They were there, but as an abyss, threatening the reality of the human being and the animals. Okay, so please let's play on that level on understanding. The negative value of some things from the perspective of the writer and the addressee. Waters, you know that in those times you had to cross waters. You don't live on waters. You may live on islands, but these are land, not waters. You use them to travel and you have to be very careful because you are at their mercy. Okay, the waves and the wind and so on. If you are on land, you can handle the situation better than if you are at sea. And the darkness, from experience, those times there was no electricity. And thus, you know, at night, the human being and the animals usually sleep, relax, rest. It is during the day, which is daylight that they function. So let's keep it this way. There was no factories working at night in big ports as we have them today, or as I hear in catalogs, like we have night lectures and so on. I mean, this is inadmissible in those times, okay? Except later when you had buildings and you can have people holding light for you and so on and so forth. But basically, in the open land, and here again, we have clearly the background of the shepherd at night. That's why later I will underscore, you know, the moon was very important as a deity. If you are a Bedouin, for you, moonlight is more vital than sunshine (laughs) because you have the light at night. Actually, too much sun is not good. Nowadays, they tell you tanning and cancer and so on and so forth. So keep this in mind all the time, all the time to understand scripture. Now I move to the second part where we have the darkness. I told you it was there already. And this darkness is linked very interestingly to a word which is translated as abyss or deep, but whose original to whom is precisely from the same root as TOHU. We have the two basic letters at the beginning. Again, very interesting. If you keep in mind what I repeatedly stress, and you're going to hear it throughout my podcast, because my experience made me not to trust in my hearers when they tell me, oh, we got it. When people tell me they got it, somehow it tells me that they didn't. Because to get it, for me, to make sure that you get it, you have to explain to me things that I point to you in the Bible. And if you can, then you didn't get it. And very quickly, you're going to throw at me philosophy and theology and so on and so forth. I mean, I know that. I'm 74 and I know that. So please, make the effort, as I put it to my students, let be serious for God's sake, for the scriptural God's sake. Serious, and listen to his words. And darkness was on the face of the deep. You see, it's something ominous. Okay, imagine yourself in a ship, at night, in darkness, they didn't have compasses and so on. Where you're going, you have at the mercy of this deep abyss, whatever it is. But it's at a home that is linked to Tohu, that is threatening to transform your ship into a rubble. And then you have the Ruach Elohim, the spirit of God, hovering over. The face of the waters, just by hearing the face of the abyss, the surface of the abyss, the face of the waters, you realize that this is what the home is. And if you're not convinced, then later on, you should be convinced when you get to the story of the flood. Notice how these two stories, Genesis and flood, help us to understand the one with the other and the other with the one.